worship team as always for leading us into the presence of God through praise and worship. Uh, what a blessing it is to be able to come and take advantage of the privilege and opportunity to worship the Lord. Um, thank you so much for all that you do. Take your Bibles this morning, please, and turn with me to Joshua chapter number 20. We are still on our journey with Joshua. We've been with Joshua for quite a while now. We started in the month of January, and we uh, have really came all the way through the book of Joshua from the first chapter. Uh, we've, we've been with him for, for a long time, learning what it means to claim Canaan, learning what it means to possess that which is ours uh, according to the promises of God. We followed him through the pages of Scripture from Kadesh Barnea. If you remember, Joshua was one of the 12 uh, spies that were chosen by Moses to go into the land of Canaan to spy it out before they went in to possess it. And him and Caleb was the only two who came back and said, let's go get what God has given to us. And the rest of them wouldn't go with him. And so uh, Joshua was one of those uh, spies and one of the faithful men that God then later allowed to go into the land. Matter of fact, only him and Caleb was able to go into the land. The rest of them died there in the wilderness as, um, as they spent 40 years waiting to receive what God had already given, which... Joshua wanted to go in and possess. Then we saw God use Joshua and raise him up as the leader of the nation of Israel. And by the power of God, Joshua led the nation of Israel into Canaan land, into the promised land, into the land that flows with milk and honey. And we saw that by the power of God, they conquered mighty cities. By the power of God, they destroyed mighty armies. By the power of God... They went in and claimed what was theirs. They received the victory in the land because God had promised it and because of God's power. And so, uh, folks, that is such a great blessing for us as believers today. It really is. Now, we've saw through this that God never leaves and never forsakes his children. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that if you have been born again, if you've been blood-bought, if you're a child of God, that God never leaves you nor forsakes you? I don't care what you're going through. I don't care what's happening in your life. I don't care whether you be in low times, in valley times, or you be in those mountaintop experiences, on those mountaintop times. Wherever you find yourself this morning, the Bible promises that God will never leave you nor forsake you as his child. What a blessing that truly is. We've also saw that God is faithful. What God says, he will do. The book of Hebrews says that God cannot lie. There's no way God can tell a lie. So what he promises, he's going to fulfill. God is faithful according to his promises. We certainly saw that through the book of Joshua. Now, why are we looking at Joshua? Why have we spent all of this time in Joshua? Because we've come to find out that Joshua is an Old Testament example of the New Testament victory the believer has in Christ. Now, I want to clear something up for you. You hear me say that a lot. You hear me say uh, the, the believer, and, and I really want us to understand what that means. I want you to know what I'm talking about when I say a believer. I'm not talking about someone who just merely believes there is a God. See, the book of James says that the demons themselves believe there is a God, and they tremble. But, but now listen, that, that don't mean the demons are saved. 
That don't mean the demons are for the Lord because they're certainly not. We know them to be against the Lord and against His, His purpose and His people. And so uh, it's more than just believing there is a God. When I'm talking about the believer, I'm talking about uh, the person who has come to the place where they realize their need for a Savior, where they're convicted of their sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about the person who trusts fully in the finished work of Jesus for the forgiveness of their sin. Listen, and they know they've been born again by the power of God. I'm talking about the person who has confessed faith in Jesus repented of their sins, turned from the ways of the world, turned to the Lord, and they know they have been born again into God's family. That's what I'm talking about when I say a believer. See, if you're here this morning and you've believed on Jesus, you've trusted in Him, you're blood-bought, you're sanctified, you're justified, that's who I'm talking about when I say you have victory. Now, if you're not yet a believer, if you're not, you've not yet trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of sin, I've got some great news for you. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. The Bible makes it plain and clear that we are in the day of grace. And the same grace that has saved me can and will save you if you'll trust in Jesus and receive Him today as your personal Savior. And so we need to understand and know the believer, the believer, those who have trusted in Christ you have victory. That victory has been promised to you in the Word of God and purchased for you by the precious blood of Jesus. And what we see in the book of Joshua is just an example in the Old Testament of the New Testament victory the believer has in Christ. Now this morning, um, I, I hope and pray that the book of Joshua has been as much a blessing to you as it has to me. Man, the Lord has really shown me some things in here that I've never saw before. And I'm so very thankful for that. Lord willing, we're going to finish up with the book of Joshua uh, next week. Uh, but this morning, I want us to look in Joshua chapter number 20, verses 1 through 3. And the title of my message today is The Revelation of Our Refuge. The Revelation of of our refuge. Let's look together. Joshua chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. The Lord also spake unto Joshua, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Appoint one of your cities, uh, excuse me, appoint out of your cities of refuge. Uh, wherefore I spake unto you by the hand of Moses, that the slayer that killeth any person unawares and unwittingly may flee thither, and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. Let's pray together. Father, we love you, and I'm so very thankful that you love us. I'm so very thankful that you have given us a place of refuge. I'm so thankful, Lord Jesus, that you are our refuge. I'm thankful that you have done for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And Lord, I'm asking you today that you speak clearly through your word exactly what we all need to see. Lord, I'm praying that you uh, move me out of the way. Lord, I cannot do this. I don't want to do this in my power. If it's going to be done effectively, Holy Spirit, you've got to do the work. So I'm praying that you uh, move uh, in, in these services, that you fill me up and pour me out, that you move me out of the way and you use me to preach your word to the hearer. Lord, I can preach truth, but only you can impart truth. And I'm asking you this morning to do the work in the hearts and lives of people that only you are capable of. And for these things, we're going to praise you. Lord, for you alone are worthy. I pray now, Lord, that you show us, you reveal to us who our refuge truly is. In Jesus' mighty name we do pray. And for your sake, 
Amen. Now, there's three quick things that I want to share with you this morning. Uh, three points that, that's not going to take long. If you'll listen fast, I'll talk fast and we'll be done in just a moment. But I want you to see, first of all, the nature of these cities that will be mentioned. I want you to see also the names of these cities that are going to be mentioned. And then we're going to see the nearness of these cities that we're going to be talking about this morning, these cities of refuge in Joshua chapter number 20. Before we get to that though, let me make this statement to you. I believe all the word of God from Genesis to Revelation is all about Jesus. If you believe that, say amen this morning. I believe that with everything in me. I know that every one of the books of the Bible, all 66, is about the Lord Jesus Christ. And a lot of people say, well, the Old Testament is really about Moses and the prophets. Well, those prophecies were about Jesus. The Old Testament scriptures are looking forward in faith to Jesus coming and doing what God promised he would do. The New Testament scriptures are about the fulfillment of those promises made in the Old Testament and also prophecies concerning what's going to happen in the future concerning the Lord Jesus. So whether you're talking about the Old Testament or the New Testament, all 66 books, it's all about Jesus. As a matter of fact, if you read through the Old Testament, and you don't see Jesus in every book, you need to reread what you've read because you've missed the main character. A lot of people think that the Old Testament and the book of Joshua that we're studying this morning is just a book of history. Now let me share something with you. I want you to know, I want you to realize and understand that's certainly true, but it's not uh, completely true. It's not uh, all the truth that we need to see. It is certainly a book of recorded history, but it's also his story. It's the story of Jesus. Listen, it's God sharing with us who Jesus is. And man, we need to see it this morning. Let me tell you why I believe that. Let me tell you why the Bible teaches that. Luke chapter number 24, verse number 37. You don't have to turn there this morning. Write that scripture down. Go back and look at it this week. But in Luke chapter 24 and verse 37, Jesus has just been resurrected on that first Easter morning. The Bible says he's on his way to Emmaus. And while he's on his walk to Emmaus, he meets with some disciples, some followers, some people who believed upon him. And the Bible says that he began to expound to them all the scriptures concerning himself. He began giving them revelation and clarity on the Old Testament scriptures that spoke of himself. That's the scriptures he's talking about. Jesus himself spoke with those believers on the road to Emmaus about the Old Testament scriptures that revealed who he was. That's a powerful thing. Jesus himself spoke of the Old Testament scriptures that were prophetic concerning his first coming. John chapter 5 and verse number 39. You remember this verse. Jesus is speaking to some scribes and Pharisees, some of the uh, leaders of the Jewish religion there in Jerusalem. And the Bible says he told them to search the scripture for they, for it's in the scriptures that testify of him. Amen. And those scriptures that he's speaking of are the Old Testament scriptures. Those Old Testament scriptures that, uh, that, that point us to Christ. I want you to understand every book of the Bible is a book about Jesus. All 66 of them, and that's certainly true this morning in Joshua chapter number 20. Now, I want you to know something. Listen to me. Today, we're going to see in Joshua chapter 20 a revelation of the refuge we have today. 
Now, the first thing that we need to see is the nature of these cities of refuge. Let's, let's look in Joshua chapter 20, verse number 1. The Bible says, The Lord also spake unto Joshua, saying, Speak in the children of Israel, saying, Appoint out of you cities of refuge, whereof I spake unto you by the hand of Moses, that the slayer that killeth any person unawares, now get a hold of that, he says, anybody who causes someone else's death unaware or unwittingly, that means it's by accident. Let's just say that there's a person, uh, there's two men out working in the field, and because of a farming accident, one of them dies. He dies unaware. He dies unwittingly. Let's say they're out clearing a piece of land, and they're cutting down trees, and a tree falls upon uh, one of the men, and he dies unwittingly. He dies unawares. The one who is guilty of his death would then be able to go to a city of refuge. And there's a reason for that. Let's look at the last part of verse number 3. For they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. Does everybody see that? Now, it was custom in that day, if someone died uh, by the hand of another man, their, their next of kin would then go and avenge the death of the one who was killed. He would go and take care uh, of the one who caused the death of his relative. He would be the avenger of blood. See, in that day, they didn't have a lot of the complicated uh, rules and regulations and court systems that we have today. And so a lot of times justice was served uh, in that way. But the Bible says if someone dies unwittingly, if someone dies unaware, if it was an accidental death, if it was not murder, but manslaughter, if you will, then that person could go to the city of refuge. There he would be protected. There he would be provided for until all of it could get worked out uh, in a way that would be just and fair for everybody. That was the city of refuge. Brothers, what does that mean for us? Well, how does that apply to our life today? Well, I'm glad you asked. Listen to me, folks. How many of you understand that all of us have been guilty of a death? Each and every one of us. You say, there's no way. I've never killed nobody. Listen, let me tell you something. You may have not killed somebody in flesh and blood with your own two hands. That, that may be true. But all of us who were born into sin, listen, who have committed sin by our own free will, have been guilty of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of us. Now, we too done it unwittingly, and we done it unaware. Do you understand that? Let, let me share with you something that the Bible says in Hebrews chapter number 6 and verse number 18. Watch what the Bible says. Hebrews chapter 6 and the 18th verse. The Bible tells us there that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie. There that is. I love that. How many of you know this morning it's impossible for God to lie. He cannot lie. He will not lie. It's not in his nature to lie. He's perfect and holy and righteous and just. God cannot lie to you. We might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set for us. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 6 verse number 18 that all of us have fled for refuge. Why? Because all of us are guilty of death whether it be unwittingly or unaware, we're still guilty. 
Now, it was certainly unwittingly and unaware for all of us who were born into sin and who committed sin before we trusted in Jesus and that sin was forgiven. We all were guilty of the death of Christ. How many of you know it was nails that, that put Jesus on the cross, but it was his love for you and me that kept him there? Amen. He laid down his life for you and for me. Hebrews 2 and verse number 9 says plainly that he tasted death for every man. One of my favorite scriptures, we read it at Easter time, is Luke chapter 23 and verse number 34. Luke 23 and 34, Jesus looked down from the cross at the men who had just put him there and guess what he said? He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Now, he was speaking to the Roman soldier there that day who had just drove the spikes through his wrist and through his feet. He was speaking to the one who had ridiculed and mocked him and spit upon him. He was speaking to all of those standing at the foot of the cross, but I just as well have been there. I want you to know it was me who put Jesus there on the cross because of my sin. It, I was unaware of it at the time, but all of us are guilty of his death. Every one of us. And just like he said, speaking from the cross, Father, forgive them. I'm so thankful he's shown his forgiveness to me. We need to see the nature of these cities, why they're there, what that means for us. But also, you must see the names of these cities. And man, this is what really blows me away. As I began studying this, this week, man, it just blessed my soul, and I hope it does yours as well. Let's look in Joshua chapter number 20, down at verses 7 and 8. In verse 7 and verse number 8, the Bible gives us a list of six cities. Each city has a name, and each name means something for us. Each name reveals something about our refuge, who is Christ. Let's look there. Joshua chapter 20, verse number 7. And they appointed Kadesh in Galilee. There's the first one, Kadesh. In Mount Naphtali. And Sheshem. There's the second one uh, in Mount Ephraim. And Kerjath Arba, which is Hebron, in Mount Judah. There's the third one, Hebron. Everybody see that? Look at verse number 8. And on the other side, Jordan by Jericho eastward, they assigned Bezer. There's the fourth city. In the wilderness upon the plain out of the tribe of Reuben. And Ramoth in Gilead. There's the fifth city. And then the Bible says... Um, the city of Golan in Bashan out of the tribe of Manasseh. Now, I want you to see that each city, uh, that name means something for you and me. We've got cities today that means their name means something. I remember when I went on our senior trip, we went to the city of Philadelphia. And as we were driving into the city of Philadelphia, there was a great big sign that stretched out over the interstate. And it said, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Now, the, that's what Philadelphia means, the city of brotherly love. Now, each one of these cities have names. And these names mean something as well. These names really mean something for you and I uh, today, and it shows us the revelation of Christ. Listen what it says about Kadesh. The word Kadesh, the first city mentioned in Joshua chapter 20 and verse number 7, means a place of holiness, a place of holiness. Now, let me share something, folks. The Bible says, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 14, that without holiness, nobody's going to see God. <laughs> without holiness, I can't see God. Without holiness, none of y'all can see God. Without holiness, none of y'all can, 
can see God. Nobody is going to see God without holiness. Well, that causes for us a great problem. Because let me ask you something. Where are you going to get holiness? How are you going to get holy? Is there anybody sitting here this morning or watching um, in your living room, is there anybody that could say, in my own power, in my own ability, just me doing what I am able to do, I consider myself holy enough to stand before God? Could anybody say that? I certainly couldn't say that. The truth is nobody can say that because the Bible says there is none righteous, not even one. Nobody's done everything right according to God's standard. That's what righteousness means. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I've sinned, you've sinned, we've all sinned. And because we have sinned, that makes us unrighteous, unholy, and unfit to stand before God who is completely holy. If there's one thing that we need to see, it's the holiness of God. For us to really get to where we need to be, we need to see who God is and we need to see who we ourselves are. God is holy and righteous and just. He does everything right at all times. And the truth is we are not. But the Bible says if anybody's going to see God, according to the book of Hebrews chapter 12, they got to be holy. Now why is that such a problem for me and you? Because in our own power, we can't be good enough. We can't be holy enough to be accepted of God. To spend eternity with God. In our own power, we have no hope. But I've got some great news for you. Listen to me. Jesus was holy for me. Jesus was holy for you. And then he went to a cross and paid the penalty for our sin. Let me read to you what the Bible tells us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 21. Watch this. I love this verse. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. The Bible tells us plainly, For he, meaning God the Father, hath made him, meaning God the Son, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I want you to understand and know what we couldn't do was be holy. What Jesus did was be holy for us. He was born perfect so that he might live perfect, and then he paid the price for our sin. And the Bible says now all who place their faith in Jesus, all who trust in him, that his righteousness, his holy Holiness will be put on our account. It's imputed righteousness. It's imputed holiness that comes by faith in Christ that makes us acceptable to a holy God, that gives us eternal life. When the Bible says that this first city's name is Kaddish, it means that, listen, this is a picture of Christ being our Savior, doing for us what we couldn't do, for He was holy for us. His holiness is imputed on our behalf when we place our trust in Him. What a blessing that truly is. Not only do I want you to see that Christ is our Savior, that's revealed to us because of Kaddish there in Joshua chapter 20 and verse number 7. But you also need to see that Christ is our strength. Look at the next city that's mentioned. Joshua 27, the Bible says, speaks of Sheshem in Mount Ephraim. Now the word Sheshem means shoulder. 
It speaks of strength and stability. So what the Bible is saying is, is that not only is Jesus our salvation, but Jesus is also our strength. Now, I don't know about you, but I need some strength today. Anybody else feel weak from time to time? Anybody else wonder how you're going to make it, how you're going to get through, how you're going to live this Christian life? I'm so thankful that when I am weak, praise God, He is strong. I'm thankful that when I can't, praise the Lord, He can. I'm thankful that when I am not able, He's more than able. And by His power and strength, He enables me to do what's pleasing unto Himself. He is my strength. I'm so thankful for that. The Bible says that Sheshem means shoulder, which speaks of strength and stability. Do you remember in Luke chapter 15, in verse number 5, there's the story of the good shepherd who goes out to find the little lost lamb. And the Bible says in Luke 15, 5, that when he found the lamb, what did he do? He picked it up and put it upon his shoulders. And he carried the lamb when the lamb couldn't carry itself. When the lamb didn't know where to go or when the lamb didn't have the power to go, the shepherd picked it up and put it upon his shoulders. That's the picture of what Jesus does for all who trust in him. We are the sheep of his pasture. He is the good shepherd. Luke, or excuse me, Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6, a prophecy concerning Jesus says that the government shall be upon his shoulders. I love this. See, his shoulders are bigger than mine, and his shoulders are bigger than yours. And because his, his shoulders are strong, he's able to carry the weight of the world. He is our salvation. But I want you to know Jesus is our strength. Child of God, rest in him. Trust in him. Run to him. We need to see Kaddish. We need to see Sheshem. But also, let's look down at uh, uh, verse number 7. The Bible also tells us of the city of Hebron. Now, we remember the city of Hebron. We spoke about Hebron a month and a half ago when we looked at the life of Caleb. Caleb is the one who claimed Hebron, Hebron you remember. Hebron was the place where the milk and honey flowed. Hebron was the place where the grapes were so big in clusters it took two men to carry them. And that's the place that Caleb wanted. Hebron speaks of fruitfulness and Hebron speaks of fellowship. Now the truth is, Jesus is the one who makes fullness, the fullness of God possible and fellowship with God possible in our lives. 1 John chapter 1. I want everybody to turn there to this verse. I want you to see this. 1 John chapter number 1 and verse number 3. Watch what the Bible says here. I love this. 1 John 1, verse number 3, That which we have seen and heard and declared we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship. Everybody see that word? John is speaking of Jesus. He says, we've seen him and we've heard him. And it's because of Jesus that we have fellowship. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We have fellowship with God the Father because of God the Son. If Kaddish speaks of Christ being our Savior and Sheshem speaks of Christ being our strength, Hebron speaks of Christ being our satisfaction. I am satisfied in Jesus. I am satisfied with Jesus. 
There's an old song that Mick Jagger used to sing. Many of you have probably heard it. He had a hit years ago, and it's called, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. I want you to think about what the man's saying. Here you have a man who has everything the world has to offer. He has money, power, success, women, anything he can possibly want, he has as far as what the world is able to give him. But in the midst of all of it, he sings and declares, I can't get no satisfaction. Let me tell you something. So many people are in the same place I used to be. They're trying to find satisfaction in everything the world has to offer. They try to find satisfaction in the pill. They try to find satisfaction in a party. They try to find satisfaction in a person. They try to find satisfaction in power. They try to find satisfaction in everything the world has. And in the end, they just find themselves empty and lost. I know that because that's where I was. But I'm glad I can tell you this morning When I found Jesus He satisfied the longing of my soul And if he can do it for me He can do it for you Without Jesus I had no peace Without Jesus I had no purpose Without Jesus I had no true joy But in Jesus He's given me peace That passeth all understanding Folks, I'm going to tell you something. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what's going to happen to our country. I don't know what's going to happen to our world. I don't know what's going to happen to our church. I don't know what's going to happen to anything. I don't. I don't know what tomorrow holds. But I still have peace for I know who holds tomorrow. He gives me peace for living. But I'm going to tell you something else. He gives me peace for dying. He satisfied my soul. I look on earth news stations and read in the newspapers about all that's going on in our world today. And I'm telling you, it seems to me people are scared to death. They're so fearful. And they're so worried about whether or not they're going to die from the coronavirus. Let me share something with you. Whether it be from the coronavirus or something else, you're going to die. You may miss the coronavirus and get hit by a truck. Listen, the, 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 the breath you just breathed is not, the next one's not promised. Hope and pray that nobody gets the coronavirus. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just trying to be real with you and let you know we're all going to have to face death. What you need is to be satisfied in your soul by a personal relationship with Jesus that gives you peace for living and peace for dying. You need to experience some of Hebron. Some fullness and fellowship. You need to experience Christ being your satisfaction. Whether Mick Jagger knows it or not, that's what he needs. That's what we're all really looking for. That relationship with Jesus that's possible now because of his finished work. Christ is our Savior. We see that in Kaddish. Christ is our strength. We see that in Sheshem. Christ is our satisfaction. We see that in Hebron. The next one that we see is Bezer. It means a stronghold or a fortification. Psalm 46 and 1 says that the Lord is my refuge and my strength. That when I don't know what to do or where to go, I run to Him. 
The Bible says in Proverbs 18 in verse number 10, again, turn there with me. I want you to see this. Look, look in your copy of the Word of God, Proverbs chapter 18 and the 10th verse. The Bible says the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. <laughs> Praise the Lord. What does it mean that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. It gives us a place to run to. It gives us a place of protection and provision. It gives us a refuge. See, God reveals to us who He is by His name. And He gives us a whole lot of names. The Bible says that He is Jehovah Jireh. How many of you know He is our provider? Praise the Lord. He has provided a way for us to be saved. The Bible says that He is Jehovah Sidkenu, our righteousness, the Lord who is our righteousness. The Bible says He is Jehovah Shalom. He's the one who is our peace. The Bible says He's Jehovah Nisi, the Lord who is our banner. He goes before us in the battle. So when we begin seeing who God is, we begin to realize it's in Him and because of Him we have strength to stand we have a place to run to. Are you seeing this? The righteous run into it and they are saved. Christ is our stronghold. But you also need to see that Christ is sovereign. In verse number 8 of Joshua chapter 20, we see the, the city of Ramoth in Gilead. Ramoth means a high and exalted place. Do you realize that Jesus is exalted in his place? Acts chapter 2 and verse number 33 says that Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God the Father. He's high and exalted in His place. Ephesians chapter 2 says that He's seated in heavenly places. He's high and exalted in His place. There's no one beside Jesus. There's no one above Jesus. There's no one in the same class as Jesus, for He is high and He is exalted. He is the sovereign ruler of the universe. The Bible says in the book of Colossians that He holds the preeminence. All things were made by Him. All things were made for Him. The Bible says in John chapter 1, there wasn't anything that was made unless it was made by Him. To be sovereign means that he's in control. That he can do what he wants, when he wants, with whom he wants, how he wants. He does not have to ask my permission or your permission. Jesus is in complete control. He's exalted in his position, in his place. But he's also exalted in his purpose, in his person. The Bible says in the book of Acts that there's no other name under heaven whereby men might be saved except the name of the Lord Jesus. See, I don't want you just to believe in God 
that can mean a whole lot of different things. Who you see to be God, who you worship as God, that can be a whole lot of different things. The Bible narrows it down. Jesus narrows it down to himself. And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is saying, I'm not a way, I'm not a truth, I'm not a life, I'm the only way. See, if he says, I am a way, a truth, or a life, then that opens up all kinds of different possibilities for different ways, different truths, and different lives. No, Jesus says, if you really want to know the way to God the Father, if you really want to know the truth, you've got to know me because I am the truth. He's the truth personified. He says, if you really want to know what it means to have life, life eternal, which is life abundant, you've got to know me. If you want to get to heaven, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. He's exalted in his place, in his position. He's exalted in his person. There's no other name under heaven whereby men might be saved except the name of Jesus. He's the only way. He's sovereign. The last thing, the last city that we're going to look at this morning is a city called Golan. Golan in Joshua chapter 20 and verse number 8 means separated. And what does that mean for us? How does that reveal Christ our refuge? Well, I'll tell you how. The Bible says that he is my sanctifier. The Bible says that he loves me just like I am. But he loves me too much to leave me like he found me. And so when I trusted in Jesus as Savior, he began the process of sanctification. He began the process of Listen, showing me things that needed to change in my life. And then by the power of the Holy Spirit, giving me the power to change them. Giving me the self-control to overcome them. Giving me the patience to wait upon himself. Giving me the joy of the Lord, which is my strength. Giving me faith to trust in Him no matter what. All of these fruits of the Spirit came by the person of the Holy Spirit. And listen, as God the Holy Spirit began His work in my life, God began changing me to become more like Jesus. And I want to tell you something. I've not arrived yet. And if you're here this morning or you're listening to me by Facebook Live, you haven't arrived yet either because you can still do this. If you can still do that, you haven't arrived yet. If God was finished His work on you and in you and through you, you'd already be in heaven, child of God. No, He's still got you here for a reason. And the reason is to cause you to become more and more and more like Jesus. Now ultimately one day that will culminate when I'm with Him in glory and I will be just what the Bible says, just as He is. But that process began at the moment of conversion. That process of me becoming more and more and more like Jesus. To become more and more and more like Jesus, you've got to be separated from the world. 
you've got to think different than the world thinks. And when you think different than the world thinks, when your thoughts are controlled by the word of God, then you're going to act different than the world acts. That's why the Bible says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, that we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Transformation is possible, but you've got to change the way you think. And when you start taking, uh, when you start transforming your thought process by the truth of God's word, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little, you begin growing from glory to glory. That's why it's so important for us to keep doing what we're doing right here. Studying the word of God, sharing the word of God. Not only in a corporate setting, but also individual in your life, individually in your life, day by day, spending time in the Word of God, so that you might transform your thought process and become separate from the world. God will do His part, believe me. But we need to do ours. We're to be separate from the world as the people of God. Second Corinthians chapter six. Let me give you this verse, and I'm done. Second Corinthians 6 and verse number 17. The Bible says, Wherefore come out from among them, and be ye separate. Child of God, listen to me. Young people, listen to me. Come out from among them, and be ye separate. Now we always want to get on our kids because they struggle with spending time with the right group of people that's honoring and glorifying the Lord. But now let me tell you something, adults. Come out from among them and be separate. Let me share something with you. I want you to understand Jesus loves everybody. We are not better than anybody else. The same grace that has saved me can and will save you. But I can promise you this. Who you choose to spend time with will certainly have an impact on the decisions and choices you make. So be ye separate. Come out from among them. Don't be influenced by the ways of the world. Influence the world by the power of Christ dwelling in you. Quit worrying about what people are going to say. People didn't die for you. Listen, you need to start worrying about what Jesus says. You need to start worrying about who he is. He's the one who laid down his life. Quit trying to please everybody else and please him. Be ye separate. Sanctified. Set apart for the purpose of God. I'm not telling you don't love people. I'm not telling you don't preach the gospel. Certainly we do that. But you've got to be careful who you allow to influence you. What you think, what you say, and what you do. Because you will be influenced. We need to see the nature of these cities. We need to see the names of these cities. And there's another thing that I want you to notice. I don't have time this morning nor the ability, because I don't have a map, to show you where these cities were. But if you go back and look in your own personal quiet time, get you a map and, of the Old Testament, and you go back and look at where these cities of refuge were located across the land of Canaan. They were spread out everywhere, in every direction. 
Let me tell you why. So that anybody who needed them could get to them. They were spread out so that it was near to everyone. Now listen to me. What does that mean for me and you? Jesus is right where you are this morning. He's closer than your next breath. And if you need to run to him for salvation today, let me tell you something. Salvation is available for you because of his finished work. If you'll trust him, he'll save you. You need to run to him for strength this morning. He's nearer than your next breath. You need to run to him this morning because you need a strong tower, a place of protection and provision. Run to him. He's near to you. He's nearer than your next breath. My advice to you this morning is run to him. The Bible has revealed to us he is our refuge. Trust in him. He said this in Matthew chapter number 11. Verse number 28, Jesus speaking here. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. He is our refuge. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Daily run to Jesus. You say, brother's already been saved. You still need him just as much today as the day he saved you. And I still need him just as much today as the day he saved me. Run to him. He is our refuge. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you so much that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Lord, I'm thankful today we can run to you. I'm thankful, Lord, You've made yourself available to us. I'm thankful you've done everything necessary for us to be saved. How good you are. Lord, if there's one listening to me this morning who is not yet trusted in you, Holy Spirit, would you convict their heart? Convict their heart like you once convicted my heart. Show them their need for a Savior. Lord, if you can do it for me, you can do it for anybody. And I ask that you do that today, if it be in your will. Lord, if there be a child of God who has been saved, listening to me today that's struggling, and Lord, they need a place to run to and they need strength, we know that you are available to do for us whatever we need. God, I'm asking that you would make this message real to all of us. In Jesus' mighty name and for your sake. Amen.